Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of God. Father in heaven, the last thing that we need to see now is each other. We need to see you. We praise you that you have revealed yourself in your son. We praise you that you did it once and for all and you did it definitively. Father, to a woman and a man in this room, created in your image, we need to see Jesus. And so we ask you from this passage, would you minister to our hearts, and would you show us Christ? Father, we thank you that you are more committed to showing us Jesus than we are committed to looking. And so we thank you that it is according to your acts of grace that you reveal yourself to us. Father, open our eyes, open our hearts, draw forth from us worship and change us, we pray. We pray that you would do this by the power of your Holy Spirit we pray in the name of Jesus, the one who gives us access to the throne room of grace. And we pray with boldness 
because we have been told to. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, we are in this second aspect, this second part of John's gospel, the communication with Jesus in Pilate. And we saw last week that Jesus was able to tell Pilate the reason that he came was to give witness to the truth. And we saw Nathan last time take Pilate's three questions and kind of organize that passage. I think in many ways we can organize this passage, Jesus bearing witness to the truth, using Pilate's words as well, at least in two out of three of those ways. The first is behold the man. And then the second is from Jesus himself, behold the gift. And then the third is behold your king. Jesus has said that the reason that he came was to bear truth and to bear witness to the truth. I think that that's what we have to see today. And I want to emphasize our need to see it. Everything in life tells us that truth is relative. Everything around us, the messages that we receive, the social media that we pay attention to, tells us that truth is relative. It is your truth, but this is my truth. Jesus comes to bear witness to the truth. Let's look at these three things together and see if this isn't exactly what we need. Jesus said, I came to bear witness to the truth, and the first truth that he bears witness to is behold the man. The words from Pilate himself. True humanity is found in Christ. Verses one through seven make up scene one. Jesus is flogged here, and it's a Roman flogging that isn't the flogging that he will receive after this scene. John doesn't record the second time that he's beaten, but this flogging is not the flogging that's done with the whips of metal and glass embedded in the cords. This is the flogging that any misdemeanor would get in the Roman world. Anyone that cheats at something, anyone that tries to get away with something, anyone that tries to upset the peace would have been flogged like Jesus. This flogging is to humiliate him and to shame him. And it's not just flogging that he receives here, but he also receives a mock coronation. You see them taking this crown of thorns and weaving it together and placing it down on his head after they have likely stripped him to flog him. So you can see this man humiliated, shamed, with blood now dripping down his face. And they put a purple robe on him, likely one of the soldier's outer garments. And then they say, hail to you, king of the Jews. It's so good to see you. And then as they pass him, they strike him. This is public humiliation. This is the goal of what Pilate is trying to do. We've already read in chapter 18, toward the end, that Pilate found no guilt in Christ. And in those verses, one through seven, he says it two more times. Look, I've found no guilt in him. That doesn't mean that he's afraid to beat Jesus. It just means, listen, this guy is not trying to resist me. He's not trying to resist Caesar. 
He's weak and he's impotent. He is no competition for me. Take him. Take him away. He brings out this humiliated and shamed Jesus and he says, behold the man. What do you think about weakness and impotence? What do you think about humiliation and those who are able to be shamed? Friedrich Nietzsche wrote his autobiography, and guess what he entitled it? The Latin for Behold the Man. Ecce homo. Behold the man. He chose these words because he hated Christianity and he hated Jesus. One summary of the book read that the focus of the book is the desire that Nietzsche had to be known as one who strove for and accomplished greatness. Now listen, before you attach yourself to the weakness and the impotence, the passivity that is on view with Christ, how much of your life do you spend Striving to be known is one who has accomplished greatness. The chapters of, just a couple of chapters of his book are titled, Why Am I So Clever? <laughs> Why I Write Such Excellent Books. I want to ask you a question. Are you ashamed of this Jesus. Be careful before you act too quickly and before you respond too quickly. Sherry sent me some Keller sermons this week and Keller pulled out of Luke 14 how when Peter denied Christ, he didn't just deny him, but Peter anathematized Christ. He did it in an active sense. Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples. And he witnessed this Jesus. Are you ashamed of this Jesus? John is filled with irony. And he is filled with irony, maybe no more so than in this message and this section of Jesus' trial and crucifixion. He spends almost 10 times more writing with Pilate than any of the other Gospels do. John wants our attention to be on Jesus for a long time. Jesus is bearing witness. And he's bearing witness to behold the man. What does it mean to be human? Here we see Jesus being the perfect image bearer of God. Before a watching world, Pilate, the world personified, Jesus bears the image of God perfectly. It was the job of all human beings. It became uniquely the job of Israel 
It is the job for those of us who are Christians, again, enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is our job. And we see in Christ mercy and graciousness, slowness to anger. This picture of Jesus is indeed behold the man because it is the word become flesh. How do you and I act in the face of shame and humiliation when we feel weak and impotent in controversy with the world in which we live? But it's also behold the man in another way. This word became flesh because we see here the man personified the servant of God from Isaiah, don't we? You know this passage in Isaiah 53. I'm just going to read to you two verses here, verses two and three. It says of the suffering servant of God, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Behold the man, the servant of God. This is the first thing that Jesus bears witness to. Humanity and true humanity. Pilate parades him and says, this type of humanity has nothing against me. And they say, no, crucify him. According to our law, he claimed to be either the son of God. That's what your text says. The Greek actually reads son of God. Maybe the, maybe a, we don't know. But certainly in John, it's often written, you know, son of God and understood the son of God. But Pilate most likely as a Roman would have understood it as a divine figure. And Pilate would have said, oh my goodness, wait a minute, I've just beaten this guy. I better go back and find out if there's anything that I can do. And he returns and seeks for clarification. So the second scene is that he draws Jesus back in and shuts the door and he sits down with them. And this time, Jesus bears witness to something else. He bears witness in verses 9 through 12 to the gift of God. I want you to see it. When I read it this week, and it was pointed out by D.A. Carson, one of the commentators, and several others, according to him, it's pretty incredible. Pilate pulls him back in, and the scene is Jesus and Pilate. And Pilate asks Jesus, where'd you come from? And Jesus is silent. Pilate is maybe angry, maybe offended, maybe he thinks Jesus doesn't understand. He says, don't you know that I control your fate? I could crucify you. I could let you go. Why won't you answer me? I have authority over you. And Jesus says something in verse 11 that's worth picking apart for just a minute. Verse 11 says this, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, 
He who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. What is Jesus bearing witness to? Pay attention with me, if you will, for just a second. Jesus is bearing witness to a gift from God. Let me see if I can show it to you. Jesus says this, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. But the question is, what is it? And the reason it's not authority is because in the original language, authority is a feminine word and it is a neutral word. And those two would not go together. Jesus is speaking about something else. He is saying, look, you would have no authority over me at all. You wouldn't be involved in this at all unless God had given this deliverance event This event of me being delivered over, unless he had given this gift to you. Unless it had been given to you. Jesus is saying, God is behind this and he has gifted you with something. This deliverance event of me. What is Jesus doing He's certainly saying that if Pilate has any authority, God is in control of that authority. That's not a question, but that just doesn't work for the context. This is God's hand at work, his deliverance event, his gift of giving what in the biblical language is understood to be a ransom. Jesus used this language in other places, didn't he? Matthew 20 is one of them. He said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And to what? And to give my life as a ransom for many. Children, who do you give ransoms to? People who kidnap other people, right? Somebody kidnaps somebody and you give them a ransom and and then the innocent person gets released. But that's not what ransom means in the scripture. That's the way we use it. So it's hard for us to understand. In the Old Testament, a ransom works like this. Let's say that you have a dangerous animal and your dangerous animal kills somebody and that family comes to you and they they say, pay restitution because your dangerous animal killed somebody and somebody either has to die or you have to pay a ransom. They could demand sacrifice or graciously offer you to pay them a ransom. You could give something else in the place of a life to make the situation right. But it was by grace. It wasn't required. But here we see that God turns that concept on its head because God is the offended one. He is the one against whom we have sinned and yet he is the one providing the ransom to set us free. This deliverance event of giving Christ. I've been reading some devotionals for Easter in preparation. I'm sure many of you have. And this one pastor said that every time he comes to the supper, and especially around Easter, he remembers a verse out of Leviticus 17. God is talking about the prohibition against eating blood. And he's saying, I prohibit you to eat blood because the life of a creature is in its blood. And he said of the sacrifices, he said, I... I have provided for you the blood. Jesus 
is pointing out to Pilate that God's providential and sovereign hand is behind the events that are taking place and that God is at work. Listen again to some of those verses out of Isaiah 53. Surely he, the suffering servant, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is God's gift of ransom for us. But listen to what Jesus does with this. This is incredible. Jesus says in the second half of that verse, Therefore, he who delivered me over to you, we don't know who that he specifically is. Could be Judas, right? Could be Caiaphas, right? The, the, the high priest. It, you know, usually when Jesus is determined as being delivered over, it's the group of Jewish leaders that, that deliver him over. But here it's singular. So the commentators are like, we don't know. But the force of it is the one who delivered him over to you, the one who played the active role, has more sin and is more responsible for their sin than yours, Pilate, which is a passive role. It's a shocking thing. Jesus is saying to Pilate, God is sovereignly at work here, but God's sovereignty actually sustains, Pilate, your moral agency. That's what he's saying here. Jesus is judging Pilate, the very job of the king. Do you see that? It's incredible. You see, God's sovereignty doesn't react to human action. God isn't contingent on how we act, but neither is human responsibility suspended because of God's sovereignty. They go together, one over the other. God's sovereignty assumes human responsibility. Look, if there's ever been a time that we should riff on something in church and kind of dig into this, this would be it, isn't it? Because that's such a fine understanding that Jesus is articulating to Pilate in the degree to which he is guilty. And, and just for a moment, wouldn't you love to have a judge that could judge us so well? Wouldn't you love to have a judge that could parse out the injustice and the oppression in the brokenness of our lives and of our world and of our relationships to the very level of the heart and the intent, knowing what is active and what is passive, wouldn't you love to have that judge? Pick up your head. You do. He is Jesus. This is Solomonic wisdom. This is the judgment of a king. And Pilate recoils. Pilate goes back, and we say in verse 12 that from this point on, he sought to release him. Now, that didn't mean that Pilate goes, hey, you're innocent. You really are the son of God. You're an incredible guy. Here, I'm going to help you go. And that's not what Pilate does. Pilate says, look, I want nothing to do with this. 
Look, Pilate is a Roman. The gods in Rome are capricious. They do what they want to when they want to. There's no telling what they're going to do when they do it. You try to interpret everything that they do all the time. Pilate sought to get out from this, to avoid responsibility. But guess what? For Pilate, it was too late. And why was it too late? Because Pilate had already been confronted by the grace of God, the gift of God, the gift of a ransom. And Jesus had already warned Pilate of judgment. And I want us to sit in this for just a second and to know that the same is true for all of us who have just listened to this story unfold. But the third thing that Jesus bears witness to, the last thing, is what Pilate says in response to this. Jesus bears witness to the truth. Behold your king. Look at verses 12 through 16 with me. It says that Pilate sought to release Jesus. We don't know how he sought to release him. Maybe there was some argument back and forth. Um, we don't know how that transpired. But Pilate can't escape the predicament that he's in. And these Jewish leaders jump on Pilate. They see his problem and they pit Jesus against Caesar. And they force the question of authority to be answered by Pilate. Pilate, what are you going to do with your authority? These Jewish leaders believed that might made right, and they knew that Pilate did too. And they said, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. So what does Pilate do? In verse 13, we read that Pilate brings Jesus out to this place called the Stone Pavement. It's kind of interesting. Did you know that some of the Caesars traveled with a cart of stones behind them when they went to different locations? Because they would take those stones and, and tessellate them. I learned that, language, that word a long time ago, and now I get to use it. They would actually tessellate these stones into a mosaic of sorts, and then on that pad of stones, a judgment was to be made. This stone pavement that exists there. So Pilate brings Jesus out and places him in the middle of the judgment. Now look, John wrote more about Jesus' interaction with Pilate than any other gospel. What do you think he wants us to be thinking about right now? What is our judgment of Jesus, right? That's what we have to think about for a minute. Pilate mocks them. Behold, your king. And they scream back at him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate goes, shall I crucify your king? And what do they say? We have no king but Caesar. All right, guilty pleasure to confess to. You know what I watch on my YouTube channel? You can go look at it if you want to. American Idol, I know. I, I don't know how to, to, you know, justify this. I love the time when the person is in the middle and it goes to Lionel and then to Katie and then to Luke and they go, yes or no, yes or no. Pilate hears that they have no king but Caesar. And Pilate looks at Jesus and he simply says, me neither. And he turns Jesus over to be crucified. 
CTK, look at me. Is this your king? Is Jesus Christ your king? The entire story of Scripture is right here. From the garden when Adam and Eve rejected the authority of God to 1 Samuel when the Israelites came to the prophet and said, we want our own king. And Samuel goes to God and says, they've rejected me. And God says, no, 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 they have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me. And yet God graciously gave them the king. And as we have been studying in adult ed, the prophecies of first and second kings point to see how these kings rejected God themselves and said to God, you are not our king. But John puts Jesus before us. You guys, we have come from a long line of folks who have rejected kings. I mean, the Declaration of Independence, right? CTK. Is this your king? And before you answer that, I want you to remember one of the maxims from the Old Testament. We understand from reading the Old Testament that as the king goes, so goes his kingdom. You know, want to know what John wrote in Ephesians 5 when he wanted to encourage the faith of the people? He wrote of the vision given to him in Revelation of the lamb who was slain approaching the throne of God and taking from him the scroll, in essence, the judgment of the world, and being enthroned as king. Jesus, this one who was the ransom of God, the Christ, the anointed one, who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So what might our response be to Jesus bearing witness to being the man, to the gift of God, and to being the king? In this Easter season, the response first needs to be worship. It needs to be us dropping our heads and with an awe-filled orientation toward God, giving him gratitude for this gift of Christ who bore our sins and carried our sorrows. Who in this room needs some sorrows carried? Who in this room needs some sins born? You have that in Christ. Does that lead you to worship? If it doesn't, look at him again. He is there for us here on the stone pavement. Behold, your king. But worship changes us and makes us willing to follow him. Paul uses the language in 2 Corinthians 3 that as we gaze upon Jesus, we're transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You see, worship changes us and makes us willing to follow Him into shame and humiliation versus avoidance, fleeing, withdrawing, self-protecting. Seeing Christ changes us. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciples, you too have to take up your cross and follow me. But to what end? Are you a ransom for somebody else's life? No. Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice, the ransom that God has provided for the lives of human beings. But it is to the end that like Christ, we too would bear the truth. We would bear witness to the truth of a steadfast love of the Father who forgives sin and who assures justice, even parsing it out to the heart and to the intention and to the relativity of sin one from another. It's amazing. Our lives will bear witness to that God. And then Jesus will receive glory upon glory as he draws to himself those for whom he has died. Church, in this Easter season, we need to sit in what Jesus bears witness to, what it means to be human, that God has gifted us with ransom, and that he is our king. Let's pray and run to this table together.